Miami put forth an improved performance versus its rival. Once again, that was not enough to grab the three points. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio. I am half of your co-hosting team, Franco Penizo, and joining me back from his New York adventure is El Primo, Steve Brenner. Steve, we missed you last week. We had someone fill in, but obviously your shoes are very hard to replace or fill. So, Steve, how, how are you doing? How was your week in New York? Thank you. Thank you. Good good to be back. Um, I've stepped back into the shoes, a little bit sweaty, but um, they're okay. <laughs> yeah, good to be. First first trip, first work trip for like 16 months. The first trip since we went to, to LAFC, uh, which seems like a, another generation ago. But um, yeah, not, nice to be, you know, back on the back on the road, so to speak. And then, um, yeah, I've just been watching the Euros. England obviously had a great result on uh, on Tuesday against Germany. So now everyone, myself, Phil included, are very excitedly looking ahead to Saturday, not just because Inter Miami are playing, but also because England versus Ukraine. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all happening. David Beckham's also in attendance for these games and he's probably enjoying them a good bit too. Uh, and look, uh, you know, we left, I think the last podcast you were on a couple of weeks back with me saying England was overrated. But, and look, they've been doing, they've been getting the job done. I won't say it's been the most aesthetically pleasing way, but... They've been getting the job done, and look, on that side of the bracket right now in the Euros, I don't see... I see them having a, a, a really good chance of, of making the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been here many, many, many times before. First time in 50 years, England followed up a semi-final at the World Cup with a quarterfinals in the Euros. Um, but yeah, but look, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on it, you know, th- their squad depth is remarkable because you know, they had guys like... Sancho, Rashford uh, on on the bench. Phil Neville ha- doesn't have that luxury of just dipping onto the bench and you know bringing those good players on. I guess he he did with with Higuain and, and Pizarro. But the the flip side of that is that the, the starters probably aren't of a similar level. So um, yeah, it's uh, that's what you need as a manager. You just need those options. Well, we will touch on that. We will touch on Inter Miami's defeat to Orlando City in the Sunshine Clásico, El Clásico del Sol. And we'll touch on this week's game, this weekend's game against CF Montreal, the last game before another two-week break ahead of the start of the CONCACAF Gold Cup. So we've got plenty to talk about. So, Steve, let's get to it. Okay, Primo, so Inter-Miami played on a Friday night. This was the first Friday night game. The atmosphere was electric at Drive Pink Stadium. The whole blackout Drive Pink theme and initiative was really well done. It looked really cool from from the press box. But Inter-Miami, unfortunately for the team and for the fans, was not able to break this losing streak or snap this losing streak. It suffered a 2-1 defeat to Orlando City. Gonzalo Higuain scores the opener off the bench in the 67th minute, but that's canceled out very quickly by Chris Mueller. And then Nani comes up with a world-class finish, an absolute gola. So if you have not seen it, go and see it. Or if you have seen it, go and see it again because that strike was incredible. One of the best finishes you'll probably see in MLS this season. Now, We'll touch on the game in just a moment, but we have to go through the lineup first. And it's worth mentioning that Gregory and Ryan Shawcross were not available for this game. Phil Neville had said last week that he thought that their red cards against DC United would be overturned. They had officially appealed for Gregory's, but neither was overturned. They both missed out on this game. So this was the starting lineup. It was John McCarthy in goal, Kelvin Leardam at right back. 
Nicolas Figal at right center back, Leandro Gonzalez Pires at left center back, Christian McCoon at left back. In the first line of the midfield, you had Victor Ulloa replacing Gregory and Blaise Matuidi next to him. And then in the second line of the midfield, you had Lewis Morgan on his usual right wing spot, Jay Chapman at the 10, Breck Shea on the left, and up top was Julian Carranza. Now, Steve, quickly, just to go over a quick synopsis or a quick takeaway from the game, what was your biggest talking point after this one? What was the thing that stuck with you the most after watching this match? Well, you know, he did. He made the change. He made the changes, didn't he? And he, he stuck to his guns. And you know, Pizarro and Aguirre remained on the bench. And they for sixty minutes, you know, they they looked good, didn't they? And then he had that option, whereas he could use Iguain, Came off the bench to great effect. Scored a, scored a great goal. And then they just yeah, they're just they're just a little bit suspect at the back, aren't they? I know the I know the first the second goal was was a wonder goal that no, no one could have stopped that. But the first goal was just you know. You just want them to just be a bit more, a bit more solid about. They're slow. They're quite ponderous, and that that's that's what kind of let them down. So it was after you know what happened in the previous match. At least they they looked more like a team. There was more of a plan um, for sure. It, it worked tactically. They got the goal, and then they just yeah they just kind of ran out of steam. And you know you don't get anything for running out of steam, but I think it was it was an improvement. But he's you know it's just he hasn't got he hasn't got the quality squad depth for the squad to, to try and, you know, when he starts mixing things up, you find out that they're going to be a bit short because, you know, Carranza has, has been disappointed and I know that they're quite disappointed with him as well. Like he's had a chance and he's not really taken it, has he? I don't necessarily agree with that take that they don't have the options. I mean, especially when they have Gonzalo Higuain and Rodolfo Pizarro on the bench. So Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but his, their standards didn't, I mean, Carranza didn't, didn't do anything, did he? I mean, sure, I, I agree with that, but I don't agree with... I mean, these decisions are decisions that Phil Neville is taking because he wants the team to be a more committed team with more effort and attitude and fight. And in that regard, we saw a much improved performance from Inter-Miami, at least at least in the first half. The second half, things started to unravel a little bit. Now, you know, Inter-Miami scores first in the second half, so that kind of maybe overshadows the the performance that was put forth, but at least that's my analysis when I went back and watched the game again. Inter-Miami was the better side in the first half, but in the second half, Orlando City started to find its rhythm and started to get into the game, even though it went behind initially. So, look, the performance was better. It has to be noted that Orlando City was playing its third game in seven or, or eight days. I'm blanking on the exact number, but it was seven or eight days. So they had some tired legs, but... Phil Neville threw out some tactics out there that were very effective. You know, they they, they didn't necessarily high-press Orlando City, but they, they cut off a lot of their build-up play from about the midfield line, maybe just part, just past the midfield line, and then they started to press them. And you just saw the fight and grit and attitude and mentality that maybe we haven't seen at different points of the season, and that gave... Orlando City fits, it gave them a lot of headaches, and it allowed Inter-Miami to dictate the tempo at times because they had the ball and they knocked it around pretty well um, in moments. So it was an improved performance. But again, like you said, you know the wheel started coming off in the second half. and Against, Inter- against the Orlando team that also you know, were without probably seven, seven players pretty much. Well, the they're, first. they're definitely missing at least a couple of starters. Um, you know, they, they don't have Pedro Galese in goal, who's with Peru. They don't have Jackson Mendes, who's with Ecuador. So they're missing a couple of starters, as well as some other players. They had two young fullbacks playing in this one, starting in this one. So 
even still, this is a this is a really good Orlando City team that's near the top of the Eastern Conference. It's one of the best teams in MLS, and Inter Miami put up a good fight. You know, I thought they were going to get blown out going into this one. I predicted 3-0, but Inter Miami surprised me with the performance. It was better than what I expected against one of MLS's top teams right now. But again, overall, though, overall in terms of quality soccer, it's just not it's just not there. It's not there. It's you know, it's a lot of energy, it's a lot of fights, a lot of being combative. But it's not a lot of quality soccer. Inter Miami finished with just three shots on target in this one. And the goal from Gonzalo Higuain that came in the second half shortly after he came off the bench is a great goal that he creates on his own. It's just individual brilliance, individual quality. It's not something that comes from the run of play and the team creating this through build-up or through effective style of play. So there are questions to me about still about what is going to happen with this team going forward because Phil Neville has said on more than one occasion since we returned from this this international break that the plan is to have a team that fights, that runs, that battles. But, you know, if that's going to come at the expense of your Gonzalo Higuain and your Rodolfo Pizarro, who are more talented, who have more quality, then, you know, that's going to limit you pretty much because, like you mentioned, Julian Carranza, he had some good hold of play. You know, I thought he had good moments in terms of that, but in terms of what he can provide you in the final third, we haven't seen much. He ha- he did not show a whole lot in this one, but again, he also did not have a bunch of different looks either. This is, again, a team that's, even with an improved performance, still isn't creating a whole lot in the attack. No, not at all. You know, that, that is, it's a problem, isn't it? Pizarro, they want him, they want to get rid of him so they can bring someone else in. So there's that issue. And then the Iguain's fitness is, you know, he's, he's pretty well short of where they want him to be, I think. I, I expect him to be on the bench again this, this weekend. Um, and you know, and he hasn't got anyone that, come, that really comes in and, and replaces him. So um, it's you know, it's a difficult situation. If we're, we're going to scout Pizarro, I'm told that you know potentially next week a, a club is going to come in for him, unnamed club as yet. But Tigres we've written in the past, but um, so there's there's that element to you know Pizarro is potentially going to go. And then Iguain's fitness is a serious issue. So they both came off the bench in this one, right? And and. To me, that's a big talking point because there are two designated players. You know, there's X amount of million on the bench with them being there. I get one's coming back from an injury. The other one's not fit. But if you're into Miami and just reading between the lines when Phil Neville talks after the game about, you know, the team's taking on this new challenge and, you know, it's all about running and those who sprint and those who don't sprint are going to be out of the team. Reading between the lines, it's clear that, look, when it comes to Higuain, Unless he gets to peak fitness, he's probably not going to get back into that lineup on a regular basis because this team is so limited and it, it has to be this, this fight-first type of team, this battle-hard type of team um, that scraps and claws and tries to keep the zero at the back and you know keep itself in games and try to pluck one at the end. You could put Gonzalo Higuain back in there. But then that takes away from the attitude and effort and fight that Phil Neville wants because Gonzalo Winston's just not that type of player. He's you know he's more of a poacher, a number nine, put finishing plays off in the box or scoring goals from afar. I mean his quality is goal scoring. His quality is not his main qualities are not effort, hustle, and high energy. So, so, so it's, it's whether or not it's, has he got then got the 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 attitude and the the drive at the the back end of his career to really sort of knuckle down and get to the level. Like I'm, I'm told he's, he's way short of, of what of the level they think. So, um, you know, how deter, how desperate is he to try and 
get back into shape and get in the team. Maybe he doesn't care. Don't, we don't know, do we? We don't know. I'm sure he's a proud player who's had a great career, um, but has he got it in him to try and you know try and sort himself out? I'm not sure. Yeah, but that, that's the problem, right? Because Phil Neville needs more quality in this team, and he even said that in one of his post game press conferences, or one of his post game quotes was that you know we need the type of quality that we saw from Nani in our team, and the only way they're going to do that is with their designated players start performing but if they're going to be reduced to part-time players that come off the bench well then that's going to put you in a pretty difficult spot but i also see the issue if they start and that takes away from their battle and their fight and their attitude and they become that team that we saw before the international break that's that's not putting in that effort and doesn't have that energy well, then that also has, you know, then, then Inter-Miami's also in a, in a tough spot. So Phil Neville, I think, is, you know, stuck between a, a rock and a, and a hard place because I don't see an easy solution to this. I just don't know how they how they fix this thing, this this whole thing. Because even going at whenever he gets fit, if he gets back to the fitness that they're looking for, I still don't see him being that player that's going to press and fight and do all the things that they are, like, asking of Julian Carranza, who's, you know... 10 plus years younger than, than Gonzalo Higuain so um, I don't know I don't know what the solution is but you know the energy versus quality dilemma is one that you know Phil Neville probably has a lot of headaches about on a regular basis because this team again it, it improved it improved and it played well against Orlando City but the quality is still really really evident they could they, for, even when they had spells of possession and they had the ball um and this is something I wrote about in my in my post-game analysis piece for SBISoccer.com. I even included a heat map. Inter-Miami doesn't get into the final third very often. It, it lacks depth or profundity in terms of getting to that to that final third and then trying to make things happen. You can see Lewis Morgan on the heat map. It's the whole collective team heat map. Lewis Morgan on the right wing. You see him out there, and there's there's some heat there, but in the actual penalty area and on the left, there's next to nothing there. It's very, very um, bare. So Inter-Miami needs... I mean, at the end of the day, they need, they need their DPs to perform, and they're going to have to, at some point, get them back into the lineup. But how that, how that impacts the function of the team and this new effort and this new attitude that they put forth, that will, that will have to be something that we keep an eye on because if they can't if they can't keep that level or keep somewhat of that level then you know I don't know what they do I mean they have to like, if they can sell Rolfo Pizarro that, that helps them a, a bit but you know you still you still have another designated player in Gonzalo Higuain that that needs to be playing I mean you, you can't have a 7 8 million dollar player on the bench on a regular basis you know over the course of much of the rest of the season but let's talk about the other designated player and that was Blaise Matuidi who for me and for Phil Neville and for a lot of people had a good performance in this one. Phil Neville said it was arguably Matuidi's best performance in an Inter-Miami jersey. I think it's up there. I don't know if it's the best I've seen from Blaise Matuidi in, in an Inter-Miami jersey, but it's definitely up there. Um, helped dictate the tempo. I thought Victor Ulloa next to him in that double pivot in the first line of the midfield was also very good. And they really helped to limit Orlando City from the buildup. Um, they were aggressive. They were good with the ball in terms of their passing accuracy. I think they were both finished with pretty high uh, passing accuracy marks or pass completion marks. And defensively, they were both very intense and physical. It was uh, it was a good performance from them, and that's what helped Inter Miami, at least from a competing standpoint, battle a little bit more and have more 
of the ball at times and dictate the tempo at times where most of the season we've seen them kind of reacting and and not really having possession for for good spells and in this one they did and they were able to combine and move the ball quickly so yeah looking at the numbers here Victor Oyo finished with 91.7% passing accuracy and Blaise Matuidi finished with 92.3 so pretty high marks for both of them so and that that to me that stat obviously that's just a stat but to me it just strengthens what I saw with my eyes and that's that Inter Miami's midfield play was was raised and a big part of that was obviously Blaise Matuidi. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You can set up like that and, and have like, you know, two banks of four and they're very, very sort of, you know, solid and you can be hard to play against. And that's, look, at, I mean, England is the same. That's what they that's what they did. They all got these flair players, but yet they tried to keep it solid and just keep keep chances to, to a minimum. And, you know, Inter Miami were able to do that. But then it's the problem of when then they can convert sort of good opportunities into actual goals and, and change the game with something, some bit of magic. That That's... That's that's what missing is. That's what's missing, isn't it? Really. Well, yeah, and they had Jay Chapman uh, up there as well as the ten, but he's not creating a whole lot as the ten. He's in there. He's he's in there. He's in there for the industry to help move the ball and circulate the ball. He also finished with a high mark, ninety-four point four percent passing accuracy. He missed a golden opportunity early on that he probably should have put away. That Lewis Morgan feeds him. I think it was in the third minute. Well, that's one of Inter Miami's. Only three shots on target in this one. I think it, later in the first half, he takes another shot from distance. It's easily just saved and gobbled up by, by the goalkeeper, Orlando City's goalkeeper. And then obviously the third one comes off Gonzalo Higuain's goal. A great goal. Again, moment of magic, of individual brilliance. He goes on a diagonal, dribbling run, and picks out the bottom left corner with a crossbody shot from about, I don't know, 25, 27 yards away. So a great goal from him, and that's the type of quality Inter-Miami needs more of, but obviously... If he's not getting starts, then limits his ability to to impact games and influence the games in that way. Now, quickly, it's to a shame. Think- it's a shame, isn't it? Because you look to someone like Karim Benzema playing for France, and you could sort of he looks similar to Higuain. He just he's in far better he's in far better shape. He's younger <laughs> as well, but you know, he's just if if he's got that desire to want to actually sort himself out and, and get lean and get you know backfiring, then that. That would be awesome. It's just, uh, I think there's just big doubts about that right now. Certainly, you know, over the last two or three weeks since we found out that he was going to, you know, be basically, yeah, axed for for not being fit enough. So uh, it's a a new situation they're having to deal with now. Well, I wanted to touch on the other side of the the ball or the other part of the team, which you briefly mentioned, which I don't necessarily agree with either. Um, You know, you said the defense is having issues, but... The defense in this one, for me, up until those last 20 minutes, was pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Especially the center back. The first goal was sloppy, though, wasn't it? Well, let's touch on that right now. But for me, especially the center back duo, Leandro González-Pires and Nicolás Figal, those first 70 minutes were pretty, pretty darn good. González-Pires and Figal checked Daryl Dique, the informed, confident Daryl Dique, out of the game. He practically did next to nothing. Um, he got a few touches here and there, but he ended up getting subbed out because he just had no impact on the game. Again, you could point to maybe some tired legs, but they they were physical. They they put in well-timed challenges. They were good in the air, cut off with their right feet, their left feet. They were That center-back duo was very, very good in this one. Might be the best center-back tandem joint performance from Inter-Miami this season. I would say it probably is. 
Then on, I thought Calvin Leardam brought some good ideas to the right side. He not only got forward, but he held up defensively up until that 70th minute or the 73rd minute equalizer from Chris Mueller. Because on that play, and this is something that we started to see a little bit more of in the second half, this was a pattern that Orlando City started to show, and they started attacking Christian McCoon at left back. That was a halftime change they made. Oscar Pareja probably was like, look, we need to start switching the point of the attack, send in balls into space in behind or over there on that flank and let that player try to defend in one-on-one situations, which he did not do a good job of. Before the goal even comes, there's one play that I think, yeah, it falls to Chris Mueller. Chris Mueller gets into the penalty area and has a very good look on goal. He shoots towards the far post and John McCarthy makes a great kick save to keep Inter-Miami I think it was level at that point. Yeah, I think the game was still 0-0. So there were already signs that Inter-Miami was was starting to break down collectively. Not a lot of signs, but there were some signs. And then on the equalizer, it's a long ball over the top to Nani, who had switched flanks for that play because Nani had played predominantly on the left like he normally does. But on this one, he goes to the right flank, matches up with the left back, Christian McCoon, catches Christian McCoon, maybe ball watching just a second too late or reacting a second too late. And he gets to it, hits a great cross in, which is a quality cross because he picks it out of the air on the bounce. He didn't, you know, he didn't collect it. He didn't trap it. He just smacked it into into the penalty area. And then Chris Mueller at the back post, you know, dumps it home. Kelvin Leardam on that play probably could have done better as well because he reacts late to marking Chris Mueller. And that's how Chris Mueller gets just that much enough of space to put the equalizer in. So yes, the defense is to blame there, but I think that's more of, individual issues there between you know Christian McCoon not being a natural left back and Kelvin Leardam reacting a little bit late but again the center backs for me were outstanding outstanding yeah I mean yeah they you know fine but they still they still ended up on the on the wrong side of the defeat didn't they so um you know they've they've just got to try and keep it going for that whole 90 minutes I think they've got the ability where they can sort of hang in and and grit it out and, and and fight and all that kind of stuff but um you've got to do it for the for the whole match and it's that they just can't seem to get over the line with that particular thing. But see, so that's the thing for me, and people that keep criticizing the, the the defense, and you know, I guess you're in that in that in my in my response here because the defense will has to do its job, sure, but the attack also has to score goals, and the attack's not scoring enough goals. This goal from Iguain, which again came from something out of nothing, he created this on his own. It broke a three plus game scoreless run. And if he doesn't come up with this moment of individual brilliance, then you're talking about four games without a goal. So the attack is not doing its job. I think the defense is holding up with what it can, by and large. There are things to correct, things to adjust, fine-tune, and address. But I think, by and large, the defense is doing its job where the attack is just not. And I think there's reasons for that. We've touched on that. You know, that the team lacks attacking depth. And when I say depth, I don't mean players on the bench. I mean the ability to to penetrate the final third and create uh, good quality chances. A big part of that is because they don't have a number 10 right now on the field, a true number 10. So again, this team has flaws. The performances have been improved with this more gritty mentality and and be hard to play against and fight. But that's only going to get you so far. So I was going to say, he he likes a possession style of, of football. That's what he wants to play. But you've got to be able to keep the ball for long periods. And I also don't think they do that most of the time. And then that puts more pressure onto the defense as well, you know? Yeah, no, for, for sure, for sure. This is the last thing I'll ask you about, about well, off of this game. 
do you think Gonzalez Pires and Nicolas Figal should be the starting center back tandem? Is that would you make that call? Because I think that's the call Phil Neville should make going forward. I know Ryan Shawcross is maybe of his liking and he's familiar with him, but I don't think that Gonzalez Pires and Figal should be split. I think that is your best center back tandem. I thought that before the season. I am now more convinced than that now. Yes, because and also for the fact that probably Shawcross for the last two or three games hasn't wasn't that great, was it? So maybe he could have, he could do with a bit of a rest anyway. Um, and that's yeah, that's a good that's definitely a good partnership who played together before. Um, probably yeah, a bit more dynamic. Let's let's see. But um, no, I mean I don't think that's too hard a call for him, is it really? Because yeah, like I say, Shawcross last couple of games was just a little bit short, wasn't it? I'm I'm surprised. I'm surprised you said that. I thought you would stick up for the Englishman. Look and look as as for the left back spot because I'm not convinced by Christian McCoon by and large. Like I think he's limited but good at what they're asking him to do. They're not asking him to get forward and join in on the attack that often like Kelvin Leardam did in this one. They're kind of just asking him to try to be defensively sound, play the ball to safety. Don't play with it if you know you're under pressure and in this one he actually did pretty good job in terms of passing but he's not the cleanest on the ball he's not the most technical player and clearly he's not the most comfortable playing out of position at left back but that should be addressed fairly soon if Kieran Gibbs arrives he's expected to arrive in July but with visa issues right now because of you know everything that's gone on post-pandemic it's taken some time he hasn't been able to join camp neither has Nick Marsman but the, expe- the expectation from the team is that they'll be able to join fairly, fairly soon here at the start of July. But let's let's leave it there. Steve, we'll come back after the break. We'll touch on this weekend's upcoming game against CF Montreal, as well as touch on other Inter-Miami news, including something you heard fairly recently about a transfer target. So we'll do that after this. The goals, the three goals on the pitch were, were provided by... Uh... Two were scored by by two world class players and set up by a world class player as well. So that's the kind of quality that we want. That's what we'll we 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 uh, we need more of. Okay, Steve. Before we switch and put our focus towards this weekend's game against CF Montreal, which will be at Red Bull Arena, it's supposed to be at Drive Pink Stadium, but it's at Red Bull Arena now because of the Gold Cup preliminaries and. Everything that's going on. Again, this was an Inter-Miami away game. This is a CF Montreal home game. So it's been moved to Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey. But before we touch on that, you have some breaking news. What have you heard about one of Inter-Miami's top transfer targets? Yeah, top target, Willian. I sound like that's going to happen now. Um, his wage demands, wanting around in the region of $12 million a year. I mean, that would make him the... Well, Making my into Miami's best pay player, I would have thought, but yeah, set all sounds like that's not going to happen now, so they have to move on to other, other targets. What who those targets are right now, we're not sure, but uh, yeah, William doesn't seem to be happening. That's a shame because that would have been a I think he would have been he would have been good, definitely in the middle of the middle of the park, just dynamic. Um, yeah, just getting in amongst it, I think he would have been a good signing, but um, those wage demands are kind of out of uh, out of into Miami's reach. Yeah, I think they would have probably played him out wide on the left, though. I think that's that's the spot. I mean, maybe they, maybe they would have put he him as a play, ten. Play, so sure, maybe they play. maybe they put him as a ten, but I think they would more likely put him out on the wing, um, on the left side, just to have a little bit more balance. Because as we've said throughout this year, and we've repeated since twenty twenty, this team is very unbalanced in terms of yeah. the attack. It's mostly Lewis Morgan creating down the right, and not much coming down the left, which. Again, we saw in this game, in this game, um, going back to the Orlando City game, Breck Shea had 27 touches. 
27 touches. He was the starter on Inter-Miami with the least amount of touches, and that was by a pretty wide margin. I think Julian Carranza was next with uh, with 42, and that's taken away, obviously, goalkeeper John McCarthy. So uh, from the field players, Brecce had had the fewest amount of, of touches from the starting, the starting group. Um, but anyway, let's so going forward to this weekend's game against CF Montreal, the last time these two teams played. Inter-Miami suffered an ugly 2-0 loss. It was in that rain delay match that I know you remember well when the day before my birthday so um what do you expect from this one what do you think Inter Miami will do in this one and how do you think things will go well I mean if you remember that was a Montreal were really good that night weren't they it was um it's a great team performance good young players and um you know they'll they'll certainly be confident considering you know how easily they dealt with Miami in that in that game it was uh yeah that was a remember that was a disappointing Disappointing performance. So, um, yeah, Miami will do well to make it sure that it's not more of the same, really. Well, Mont- Montreal is not necessarily a top team in the East right now. They're in ninth place with a 3-4-3 and three record. Since that Inter-Miami game, that last Inter-Miami game, they have lost twice, tied twice, and won once. They haven't scored a whole lot of goals. They have scored a total of three goals in those five games. So, see if Montreal is not necessarily the toughest challenge or the biggest test for Inter-Miami. So this is a game that they should be able to get at least a point out of, given what they have on the roster, be it with on the bench or in the starting lineup. They should be able to at least get a point. Obviously, that's the challenge. But Montreal, the, their success, their key to success in that game on that Wednesday night with the torrential downpour and the lightning delay, their success was high-pressing Inter-Miami. And they, that was when the blueprint was laid out for how to make life tough for Inter-Miami and how to beat Inter-Miami. And it took Phil Neville some time because he kept trying to emphasize building out and playing short. They suffered some more losses. Then he kind of changed things. Although in this game, this past weekend, Inter-Miami did play with the ball a little bit more out of the back, more than we've seen in recent matches. But I don't think Inter-Miami is going to do, make the same mistake. I don't think Phil Neville is going to have his team build out against the CF Montreal team that, like we saw that night, was intense, was able to high-press effectively, and was able to force Inter-Miami into errors and mistakes that led to chances and goals. So I think Inter-Miami will play more of this longer ball, direct, fight-for-second-balls type of style, and I think it could lead to, obviously, a better performance and possibly a result. Because, as we know, soccer is a sport that is constantly demanding performance and result. And Inter-Miami, something I said after the game, Inter-Miami in in this game against Orlando City got a performance, but it didn't get the result. So they need to have both. They need to get the performance and the result. I mean, obviously you can get a result without having a good performance, but a better performance with with a good result because this team is still in a bad way. They've lost four in a row now and five of the last six with the only win in that stretch coming against FC Cincinnati so just for confidence sake for players believing in what is being done on the training field and the coaching staff they need a win in a bad way so at least a draw at least a draw just to start getting some points again break this this funk we'll see how they how they go about it are you feeling good about their chances or do you still think this is going to be a a a tough ask for them it's I think it's going to be a bit of a a tough ask like I said they're not in amazing form Montreal but um yeah, it just depends which kind of Inter Miami turns up, and, and just can they can they affect 
you know the uh, game enough in the in that final third in the attacking third to um, to try and you know make it make a difference because they could probably hold them off. It's just um, whether or not they could just score the other end. Well, one plus for Inter Miami, I guess, is that Rodolfo Pizarro will be with the team, from what we know, because he was supposed to leave for international duty with Mexico this week for a pair of friendlies before the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Now, Mexico announced this week that he had been replaced on their roster by Efrain Alvarez. We don't know why that is, because Rodolfo Pizarro, like we mentioned, he came off the bench on Friday against Orlando City and he played some 20, 30 minutes. So, from what we know, he's healthy. Now, maybe, and this is just my speculation, this is not information, I'm just speculating here, maybe Inter Miami said, all right, look, he's healthy again, Let's keep him for this game against CF Montreal just to have him as an option off the bench or into, or for the lineup. And then if they call him up for the Gold Cup, we'll let him go. Because the Gold Cup is mandatory release from clubs. Clubs have to release their international players during the Gold Cup. But these friendlies beforehand, they do not have to because they do not fall in the international window. So maybe that's there's right. an element of that to it. So. Well, he's he's not sure, is he? He's, as as we speak right now, Pizarro is not sure if he's going to get called up or not. So it would actually help into Miami if he did if he did get called up. Um, you know, they think that a, a team is going to come in from next next week. But either way, that could sort of um, you know, push it push it along if he's involved with the national team. Um, yeah. So I have to see what happens with that. Yeah, well, you think you think he would probably go go? He would be included in the squad though, don't you? I, I think so. I think so because in the Mexico's announcement in their tweet, it said. Efrain Alvarez replaces Rodolfo Pizarro on the on the roster for the next two friends. It didn't say on the roster for the Gold Cup. Had no, no mention of the Gold no. Cup. It didn't say even give an explanation for why that was. So again, you know, me reading between the lines, not information, just my speculation here. I think it's just a matter of Inter Miami wanting to keep him for this next game. Obviously, he misses out on the friendlies, but that still leaves him available for the Gold Cup. So if Mexico wants him on the Gold Cup roster, then he can go next week and take part in that and obviously maybe raise his stock um, on the transfer on the transfer market so Steve lineup predictions do you see anything different from Phil Neville in terms of the starting team no I don't think so I think Iguain is going to be on the bench um, and he's yeah I think he'll go with 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 what they've got I mean the only option is, I guess, is you know, Carranza well, Gregory, Gregory, Gregory will come back in, right? Gregory comes back in for Uyoa in the center of the park because Gregory's no longer suspended. Ryan Shawcross is available again, but you said you don't, you wouldn't start Gregory. I mean, I'm sorry, you wouldn't start Ryan Shawcross. No. Okay. Do you think Phil no. Neville starts Ryan Shawcross, Shawcross? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think the lineup will be the same aside from Gregory coming back in into the central midfielder and maybe maybe we see a change at left mid where where Brett Shea again just didn't really do all that much hasn't really impressed in the last couple of games so someone's got to score the goals haven't they someone's got to score the goals who's going to score the goals yeah no I, yeah somebody has to score goals but who, who's that going to be who's going to be a goal scorer who's, who's going to create those chances for you Carranza's a striker so he, that's his job isn't it to score goals so yeah but he's got he's got to get the ball in, in, in the final third as well and if they're not getting him the oh. ball then it's the same thing we talked about with Gonzalo Higuain earlier this year and last year if he's not getting the ball in dangerous spots then obviously as a striker it kind of limits your ability to score goals sure Gonzalo Higuain you know for his qualities is capable of scoring great goals from distance 
but that's not something you're going to get on an every game basis, not even probably on a regular basis. So the team needs to perform better in general, which is why I think maybe Breckshay could come off at, at left mid if they need a little bit more from that position because, again, in this last game against Orlando City, just wasn't good enough. And I think that's kind of been Breckshay's... I think that kind of sums up Breckshay's time since he joined Inter Miami. It's been kind of very up and down. One game, you know, he'll score a goal and play really well. Next game, not so much. He's kind of quiet, goes invisible, but gets very few touches. So very inconsistent in that way. And, and you know, at this point, you might need to look at, at another option. Maybe Pisapro could get a start. Maybe he can get back into the lineup out there on the left just to, to get that energy as well as that little bit of quality. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I think there could be a change at, at left midfield. Steve, quickly, what is your prediction for this week? And does Inter-Miami break this funk? Does it put an end to it once and for all? Or will we be talking about another loss next week? No, a brave uh, two-all two all draw. Okay, a draw. I will say a 1-1 one, one draw. 1-1 one, one draw. I don't see Inter-Miami scoring twice. So I, I, I think they'll get a point. They'll get a result. But I think it'll be another scrappy okay. affair. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for this segment. We'll come back after this to talk about a couple of other little news and nuggets that have come out from Inter Miami. And we'll give our final thoughts as well. Okay, Primo, it's almost Q&A time, but first I wanted to touch on something that is one of your favorite topics to talk about, and that is a new Inter-Miami jersey, yet another one. Inter-Miami unveiled this week a training top that it will use this weekend before the match against CF Montreal to commemorate is July it one 4th. A week? It's been one a week so far, hasn't it? One a week? Every week in UK? No. <laughs> no, no, not, not, not quite, but as of late, there have been some pretty new... Uh, kids coming on a freak on a very regular basis. So this one is white and red vertical stripes with blue touches on the collar and the the sleeves. Looks like it would make for a pretty good U.S. men's national team jersey. But again, this is something that's being done across MLS. So Inter Miami won't be the only team wearing this top. This top there will be others as well. But I think it's pretty cool. I think it's a pretty cool look for what it's for. Not necessarily something that is emblematic of Inter Miami, but kind of cool. I like the look. What do you think? I know, I know, <clears throat> I know. Jerseys aren't your favorite talking point. No, I like it. I like the red and white. I think uh, John McCarthy looks very nice in it, as did Breck Shea in some of the uh, some of the photos. Yeah, I, I think I preferred the blue one from last week or the couple of weeks ago. The the nod to the ocean, the, the ocean one, I thought was quite nice. But this is also you know nice as well. But you can't beat a bit of pink and black, I don't think. No, you can't. You can't beat the pink and black. Okay, so we have a few questions to get to. Steve, so let's run through them. There's one that's actually directed right at you, which I think we'll have some fun with. Uh, but let's start with Elder Bar, and he asks, I want to bring up Phil and his staff. Is he worse or same as Alonso at this point before Blaze and Gonzalo came? Possession was higher in percentage. Thoughts on possession. Fitness is terrible. Is Fort Lauderdale a horrible place for football? Primo, you can begin there if you'd like. Very negatively loaded question there. Just dripping <laughs> with negativity and cynicism. Uh do I think he's doing a better job than Diego Alonso? I think that he's been, I guess when you tally up the points, I would say it's it's the same, isn't it? 
Um, I, I think that he just needs Phil Neville needs to be given a season before we completely reflect on it and also have it because it's you know he was given he was handed this squad really. I mean I know he has made some signs that they've tried to sort out the, the roster, but you know the the movement of the DPs is going to be crucial and it's it's pretty much his you know the squad that he was given plus you know you've got this different fullbacks maybe and um you know Shawcross and, and Kieran Gibbs I'm told is coming on Friday um but you know yeah they haven't started well but I do think he was given if you know the phrase a bit of a hospital pass uh, when he was given that squad because that was what you know it wasn't a great squad last year was it and it hasn't suddenly improved this year as for Fort Lauderdale I think Fort Lauderdale was great great I, I you know I think the, the stadium and, and the the training ground, everything is is cool. Yeah, there's not much of a fan experience, I guess, around the the edges of it because of its location. But I mean, I, I think on the whole, I think it's absolutely fine, and it's a great place to watch football. Yeah, I think I think the sentiment's more along the lines because of the results, and you know, obviously the Miami Fusion. Even though they did well, they didn't they didn't last. Neither have other iterations of professional soccer that have tried to happen in Fort Lauderdale or try to call Fort Lauderdale home. So I, I think that's where the question's kind of coming from. When you include Inter Miami's results, I don't think it's a terrible place for football. I think once Inter Miami gets through these growing pains, and there have been quite a bit, and there probably will be a lot more, once the team can get on track, I think it will ultimately be a very successful team. It's just how long will that take? But as, as for is you know is Phil Neville worse or the same as Alonso at this point? You know, it's still kind of to be determined. Now we're getting into closer to the midway point of the season. We're, we're heading in that direction, so maybe at that point we'll be able to better assess and analyze the situation because Diego Alonso had a team that was being built from the ground up. Phil Neville has a, inherited a team that's already in place, but he's dealing with other issues like designated players being injured, other ones not being fit, etc., etc. So different issues. We'll see. The results will speak for themselves. We'll see where Inter-Miami is at the midway point. So next question comes from Lucho Lalo 1896, and this one's directed at you, Steve. Primo, off topic, but England is the equivalent of Mexicans national team in Europe. Always have had <laughs> head in the clouds. You guys beat a Germany who have been trash and have the easiest route to the final. Hope y'all lose LOL. Love you on the pod, though. LOL. Was Bex there to find a potential DP? <laughs> That's amazing. That's like the best tweet uh, of the, the month. Love, thanks for the love and the hate in the same question. It's incredible. Ahead in the clouds? I don't, no, I don't think so. I think as a country with England's sort of, you know, soccer heritage or whatever, we expect that they should be doing, have done far better than they have. Don't forget, England have only ever won one tournament ever and that was in 1966 55 years ago and this and only this us getting to the euros quarterfinals this time is the first time in 50 years they followed up a semi-final in the world cup with a quarterfinal sorry a semi-final of the world cup with a quarterfinal in the euros um have mexico ever won the world cup i don't think so no they've never won the world cup no uh but only teams from europe expect- and south america have I don't think do, do Mexican fans think that they should be contesting that winning World Cups and winning winning the Copa Americas. Or I, th- like, or I, th- I think the Cup, I think whatever. the I think the sentiment is you know I'm reading between the, not reading between the lines but I'm just gonna assume here and I think you know hopefully I, I'm not misrepresenting Lucho Lalo's uh, question or, or comment here. I think he means just in terms of like where the media holds the team, like what standard the media holds the team to, because Mexico. 
often is spoken about, at least nationally in Mexico, about how good of a team it is. You know, it's the top dog in CONCACAF. It should be fighting for a deep spot in the World Cup, and yet it hasn't made it out of the round of 16 at a World Cup. And I think five straight editions now, maybe my, my math is wrong there, but, you know, they talk about in Spanish often in Mexico about the the highly coveted fifth game, el quinto partido, because they never get past the round of 16, their fourth game after the three in the group stage. So um, I think it's more along the lines of that. Because, look, I agree, and I said this to you, you know, a couple pods ago when you, when you were on, that I think there is an element of overratedness. And I, I don't think it comes from necessarily the players. I just think it comes from English media by and large, just kind of... I, I don't make... think that's correct, though. I don't, it's, the, the English media aren't overrated. If anything, they're very... They're in general. In general. I'm saying... I, I don't know, man. Before big tournaments, you know, there's... You just said it yourself. There haven't, they haven't had a lot of um, deep Everyone runs in tournaments. Everyone wants them to win, but win the World Cup, win the Euros. But, but very few people think that they will. I don't think you'll find... You know, they, they champion them and they... Yeah, they... That people back in England and England fans in general are delighted. Yeah, it wasn't a great Germany team, but we'd only ever beaten Germany once in a knockout stage at a major tournament. That was in 1966 in the final. Lost in 1970, lost in 1990, the World Cup semi-final. Beat them um, beat them in the Euro group stage. And I think, yeah, in, uh, where Phil Neville was playing, 2000 and, um, yeah, 2000. Then went out, went out of the group stage, so that was no good. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> you, you got to direct me to the media you read because when I read English press, I read like you know that the, the players are really good, that the teams are really good. I mean, you said it yourself a couple of weeks ago, and maybe this for this case it's different. But with this team, you know, you were saying, oh, they should they should compete for a final. I didn't think so, but look, they're they're showing it yeah, uh, with the results. Players, man. They've got some. They've got look at the bench. The players they didn't use yesterday: Phil Foden at Man City, Sancho, who's just got signed from Manchester United for nearly eighty-five million. Jude Bellingham is also at Dortmund. He's only 18. He, he's a great player. Uh, Mason Mount, who, who uh, won the Champions League recently with Chelsea. Chil- ben Chilwell is a fullback. They've got a lot of good players, um, which is very rare for England because we've never had a... We've always had like a, maybe a strong first eleven, but then the players sometimes that come in aren't, aren't as good. But look, nobody ever expects them to win a, win a major tournament because we've just been so bad. Uh, you know, or there's always been heartbreak. So... This is a good chance for England. Um, whether or not they take it, we don't know. Ukraine won't be easy. And if they get Denmark or the Czech Republic in the semi, that won't be easy either. And yeah, then it's either yeah. going to be one of Italy, Belgium, potentially um, in the in the final, Spain maybe. Uh, we've got a chance, but it always ends in tears. It always ends in tears. 1990, Euro 96, when Gareth Southgate missed the penalty. Um, the lost to Germany in the semi-final. Paul Gascoigne almost scored. Honestly, I was in tears watching the montage before the game yesterday where they were just churning up the, all the old sort of heartbreaks. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll so. revisit this pod in a couple of weeks when the Euros are done because maybe England does it. Maybe they get the job maybe. done. Maybe they bring it home um, because they are getting the job done in this in this tournament. I don't think they've conceded yet. No, they okay. haven't conceded the goal, but they haven't yet. Look, for, for, for 70 minutes against Germany, it wasn't, it was very, very tight. But then they brought on Jack Grealish, who was the game changer. And yeah. That was it. Sterling. I mean, you know, they've got some good players, man. I'm not, hey, than, I'm not saying they don't have good players. <laughs> hey, they are, they are better than Pru. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. I'm not debating that. They're absolutely better than Pru. I just don't think on a regular basis they're they're as good. Maybe this is the exception, but in other cases, I don't think they've been as good as they've been made out to be. But we'll, no, we'll, one, no one is making out that they're absolute well-beaters. I'm telling you now. I'm going to pull up articles after we record, and I'm going to show you, like, 
different uh, narratives going into big tournaments like the I don't know twenty ten World Cup or whatever. Like we, they ended up tying the U.S. in that in that in that World Cup actually. But let's keep going. So we have a couple other questions. Next one comes from Twitter, and he says LGP leads the team in yellow cards received. He le- also leads all defenders. In the league, in fouls suffered. I don't know if he means fouls committed or fouls suffered, but he said fouls suffered. Do you think the teams target LGP since he has a short fuse? His outburst with Mueller cut short potential inter-Miami counter. As one of the captains, he needs to be more disciplined. I'll start here if that's okay. Look, we know from a temperament standpoint, LGP can get hot-headed. He does have his moments where you know he does lose his cool. I thought he lost his cool a little bit too much in this incident you're talking about with Mueller because on the replay, when I watched it back the second time, there's kind of a head-butt motion or, you know, not a head-butt motion, but like, you know, when the players go head-to-head and, you know, one player thrusts their head forward, he kind of does that. I hope for Inter-Miami's sake that that doesn't lead to a suspension upon you know, the MLS disciplinary committee. I hope not for Inter-Miami's sake because I thought I liked, you know, like I said I meant earlier, I liked what I saw from LGP and Nicolas Figal by and large as a joint center back center back tandem. Um, whether teams target him for that, I don't think they target him necessarily. Maybe some players, some savvy players, try to ruffle his feathers, maybe go in with a little bit extra, try to, you know, do the gamesmanship to try to get under his skin because they know he can, but I don't think teams are just necessarily targeting him directly. No, um, but I mean, I, you know, I just like the fact he's got good MLS experience, hasn't he? He knows the league. He's a good player. He's mobile. Um, <clears throat> we don't know if he's going to be one of the full guys. We know that Phil Neville's going to have to sell someone like him or one of these guys to to compensate for the the financial hit they've they took, you know, two or three weeks ago with the Matuidi thing. So, you know, I think I guess he'd he'd be one they'd want to sell. But um, you know, someone someone's going to go, and I think he's a sellable asset. And I think most clubs would want to would want to, want to sign him because I think he's a decent player. Yeah, he's pretty decent. It would be a shame for Inter-Miami if he's one of the ones that has to go because I think he's one of the better center backs in the league because even with the fact that sometimes he he does lose his cool. Next question comes from Papa to Papa. Is it safe to say the league hates us? How did Orlando City get to play Toronto FC in their own stadium as an away game and then Montreal, they all of a sudden get the change to New Jersey. Orlando won that game away supposedly by a three to zero score so i don't think it's fair but yeah i won't say the curse word screw orlando um look so the reason why this game is being changed is because of the gold cup preliminaries so there's games going on at drive pink stadium this week and the schedule is congested so cf montreal had to move this game out of the market it's been playing in which is south florida which is at drive pink stadium and they went back to, or they're going, at least for this weekend, back to where they played during the second half of last season, which is at Red Bull Arena. It comes down to that. I don't think it's there's any more to it than it's not... I don't think it's a, a league-hating Inter-Miami thing. I think it's just how things lined up with uh, with uh, Gold Cup prelims. Yes, so much so that it's even affecting us where we can't actually go down to speak to Phil Neville properly because the Gold Cup teams are in, you know, Dry Pink Stadium right now or, or this week, aren't they, getting ready? So, um, yeah, it's a logistical... Yeah, we we didn't we didn't mention that that is you know last week we, we were able to speak to to the protagonist Inter Miami head coach Phil Neville some players in person we did it after the game unfortunately this week we will not be able to because of the Gold Cup prelims that are being prepared for so um, let's let's continue on because we have two more questions and the next one comes from Gabe P why are the new signings not here to start this weekend and when the market opens tomorrow and they signed their contract over two months ago shouldn't they have gotten their visa weeks ago. I think 
front office needs to do better since the team is looking so bad? Why didn't Escola not play? So there's a lot of questions in there. I will address a few of them because I think you already said just a bit ago that Kieran Gibbs is expected to arrive this Friday. Is that, yes. is that accurate? Yes. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's but, a boost. That's a boost because, I, like I said earlier, I don't think Christian McCoon is uh, – is necessarily the, the solution at that left-back spot. No, and remember, I mean, Kieran Gibbs was playing, or he was at West Brom right until the, the end of the season. So I guess he had to have some he had to have some time off and then the visa, sorting the visa out as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's been six weeks or so. So, um, But there's still, still, you know, the MLS season is still in its infancy, so to speak. So there's still a lot of games to, to play. So I don't think it's... I think it's too too bad, really, that he hasn't he's come a bit late. He needed some time off, but it's all going to get burnt out. Well, they didn't need some time off. He probably could use some time off. I don't know if he needed some time off because, look, Jeff Cameron came off of a long season and he jumped right into it with FC Cincinnati. He even played against Inter Miami. Made his debut for them in that game. Uh, I think it was in May. Now we're talking about well, we're almost in July, so they didn't necessarily need, but you know they probably negotiated that in the contract. Hey, I'd like a little bit of a break before I jump back into things. You know, we've seen him on social media channels at you know the Brooklyn Nets games. He's been traveling. He's been getting some proper downtime which is fair you know you do occasionally as a professional athlete need some downtime to recharge the batteries but did he need it in the sense that if he didn't then you know all all hell breaks loose i don't know i don't but as for the visa thing quickly to touch on that um you know because of the pandemic and everything that's gone on since then visas have been hard to come by uh, or harder to come by there's you know processes are taking longer that's what's happened by and large with Kieran Gibbs and Nick Marsman from what we've been told from what we understand so that's the reason why they haven't been able to arrive as as early as was expected initially because early on the the belief was that they'd arrive in June at some point and then they would start playing as soon as they were available on July 1st but that looks like it's going to be pushed back as for why Ascona didn't play uh, I heard something but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it to myself until I can confirm it because I don't want to I don't want to put something out there that's not not accurate but I did hear there was a reason why he didn't play this past weekend, why he wasn't on the game day roster. But I will work to confirm that and come back next week and we can talk about it. Because, again, I just don't want to put out anything out there that's not not accurate. Or he not wasn't, on, uh, wasn't on Matweedy's yacht, was he? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. It's definitely not that. It's definitely not okay. that. Um, no, okay, so the last question comes from CJ. Are you guys keeping up with Fort Lauderdale CF? What do you think of the young talent there? With all the sanctions we will be facing, who do you think on Fort Lauderdale CF can you see stepping up and helping this team now or next year? So um, I've been keeping up with Fort Lauderdale CF a bit, not anywhere near the level that I have with Inter Miami, of course, but I have been keeping up with them, seeing that there are some pretty good performers in there, including George Acosta, who is well on his way to breaking the assist record in USL League One. So there are some players in there that have a future in Inter Miami colors or an Inter-Miami roster. It just depends on how things play out. I think we're talking longer term. I don't think necessarily it'll be this year. I think George Acosta is one to watch. Edison Ascona, obviously he's been with Inter-Miami, but he's getting minutes with Fort Lauderdale CF, so keep an eye on him. Mitch Curry, the English bloke, I think he's also shown some things and and could potentially make the jump up. And, of course, um, Harvey Neville as well. He's he's probably a a good shout for probably making his way to the Inter Miami roster at some point in the near future. Yeah, Mitch Mitch Curry actually looked good, didn't he? He scored a he scored a few goals, isn't he? So I think they'll be um they'll be looking and seeing for sure. It'll be interesting to see who they're um who's gonna get the nod straight away. 
in terms of the process, can they just be called up pretty much straight away or, or does it need some sort of time? I mean, they could be you know, promoted this year if that's what Inter Miami decides to do. But I think, I think they'll, they'll tap into that. I think we touched on this a, a couple of weeks ago or maybe three weeks ago when the sanctions were announced. They're going to have to tap into the Fort Lauderdale CF team with all the money, the, the TAM and the GAM, the allocation money that they'll lose. They won't have money to sign certain caliber of players or not as many, so they're going to have to tap into the youth team or the Fort Lauderdale CF team to help make up those numbers and try to find some talent and hope that one of those players emerges and, and really steps up. That's probably what's going to be the game plan um, longer term, bigger picture over the next next few years. So I do expect some, some Fort Lauderdale CF players to to be promoted um, or to get up, you know, to get moved up to the team. So, um, but that does it for the Q and a session, Steve, give us your final thoughts. I'll give mine and we'll wrap up the pod for this week. Um, I think if they can get a draw on Saturday night, I think that will be a, you know, that'll be a big, big bonus moving forward to the other games. And you know, what a, what a day it could be Inter Miami could get a draw against Montreal and then before that England would have stormed into the semi-final after a wonderful victory after the Ukraine um, it could be one hell of a Saturday <laughs> super Saturday if, if, if you're English so if you know if you're Phil Neville that could if you're be, English and from if, Miami it could be, <laughs> what a time yeah that could be a heck of a, of a Saturday uh, look for me I would say my final thought is and I'll keep it Inter-Miami related start Rodolfo Pizarro I touched on Brexit earlier in the pod I don't think he's consistent enough don't think he showed much against Orlando City I think Pizarro can give you an upgrade in quality while also not making you diminish or lose all that much on the defensive side because as we know, or as I think we agree, even though I know you're not high on Pizarro, he does run around a lot. He does cover a lot of ground. He does put in a lot of work on the defensive side. So I think from a hustle and attitude and fight standpoint, he can he can keep you where you've kind of been at more or less and maybe give you a little upgrade in, in the in the final third. He's not going to score golazos like Nani did, Nani did on the weekend, but he can give you a boost in quality. Throw him out there on the left. See if he can if he can help you before he maybe goes to the Gold Cup or not. And, you know, maybe that improves your chances of getting a victory. So, Steve, that does it for this week's pod. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please give us a follow on all our social media channels. That's at MIA Total Football on Twitter and Instagram and at Miami Total Football on Facebook and YouTube. For Steve Brenner, I am Franco Panizo. Enjoy the game this weekend. Enjoy the holiday. And we'll talk to you guys again.